Welcome to episode 38 of the Gunburners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law joining us this week. First time this summer. Pumped up to have J-Law on the show tonight. J-Law, what's going on, man? Tell us what you've been doing all summer. Tell us how fired up you are. Was Is it 30 days to kick? Are we within a month? It's, it's go time. Yeah, 30 days, guys. Just been uh, buying a house, selling a house. Trying to keep up, listening to y'all's show. I was doing really well until I saw that hopeful hat on. We're like rival. We're like rivals now. I can't wait for you to visit Silicaga and play on the nice turf. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to get on the turf. Uh, but uh, you know, I actually got to call a game with J Law from from Silicaga from the booth, and uh, sort of it'll be fun to to coach against his his team up there um, in Silicaga. Lester, how you been doing since we? I guess I talked to you what last three days ago, four days ago. Uh, what yeah, you this week. Uh, been doing pretty good. Just taking it easy, same old, same old. Yeah, um, you know, no, no baseball talk in this, uh, in this podcast. You know, um, we're just gonna, you know, we're in, we're in fall camp mode, and um, and I, and I sent you guys some stuff that I wanted to, to discuss. You know, your typical, you know, preseason prediction type podcast. I wanted to go ahead and do it, so we're gonna jump right into it. J-Law, I want to start with you. Um, topic number one, let's just go ahead and predict the final, the final four, the playoff final four teams that you had this year for 2021-2022. Who's it going to be? Well, you know, the, the Pac-12, I don't think they've gotten in like once or twice. I don't think anybody gets in from the Pac-12. Got to be a little fun game early between Ohio State and Oregon, but I don't think anybody from the Pac-12 gets in. I think you're going to see, you know, a similar mix of what we've been seeing for a long time. Uh, it's going to be Ohio State out of the Big Ten. It's going to be Clemson out of the ACC. Don't see much competition from them there. I think Alabama finds a way to prevail with Nick Saban's, what, 13th different coordinator and Bill O'Brien. And I think Oklahoma, now I know they're going to be an SEC team in, in just a little bit, but I think they run away with a Big 12 for what feels like, you know, the 20th straight year. Don't see any competition in that league. You know, Steve Sarkeesian may get it going in the next few years, but Oklahoma head and shoulders, to me, even above Iowa State, who a lot of people still really likes, if Spencer Rattler can keep it going um, the way he had it going towards the end of last year, I think those are probably going to be your uh, your four teams that are in the college football playoff. Georgia's a sexy pick, um, you know. I think they have some of the same questions as Alabama has. JT Daniels, the final, I think he played the final three games last year, like South Carolina, Missouri, and uh, some other really weak SEC team. So we'll see uh, what happens with Georgia. But I think your teams are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma that'll be sitting in the college football playoff. Yeah, and, and that's exactly my four. And, uh, you know, some of the reasoning is, you know, we'll start with Georgia. Yeah, like you said, they're, they're a sexy pick all across the country. And, you know, they're media favorites or whatever. But, I mean, every single year we hear the same thing. Oh, Georgia's going to take over Alabama. This is the year. This is the year that Kirby gets one over or gets over on Saban. Um, and it's just it, – it hasn't happened. You know, everybody thought it was going to happen last year. They're leading going into halftime, and then Alabama comes out and just spanks their ass in the second half. Um, you know, so Georgia with me, I, they're at that stage. you got to show me. You know, stop talking. You know, actions speak louder than words. So get out there, beat Alabama, show me you can do it. And I believe you can do it. Um, you know, sure, you've been close. But, I mean, at the, at the end of the game, if you're not on top on the scoreboard, doesn't matter how close you were throughout the game. Um, you know, Ohio State and the Big Ten, what's their biggest competition? Their biggest threat is like Iowa or something like that. Who's, I mean, they're a solid football team. They're not anywhere near elite. Um, so that they, you know. I think Iowa might be Ohio State's biggest threat. Uh, Penn State's down. Wisconsin's average. Michigan's pretty average. Uh, Clemson, they can lose to Georgia week one, and it doesn't even matter because that's probably the easiest schedule I've ever seen um, outside of really one game. I mean, North Carolina might be ranked top 20 when they play them, but Florida State's so bad. Everybody's just so bad in the ACC. 
And uh, yeah, like you said, Pac-12, no shot. Oregon's going to be anywhere from number 10 to number 20, maybe all year. They might finish nine and three. Um, and then, so, so you go to the big 12 and uh, I think it's Oklahoma. I think their defense has improved. They get Marvin Mims back, uh, the, the dynamic receiver, Spencer Rather. He's just, I think he could be the best quarterback that Lincoln Riley has had. So when you, when you look at, and Sark's got to find a quarterback himself. Um, and so whenever you look at Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Clemson, it's really hard to argue against them. But those would be my reasons to not pick teams like, you know, Texas or Georgia or whoever else, anybody else wanted to put in there. Lester, do you have anybody different? Is that kind of your, the four that you're thinking as well? Yeah, that's that, that that's kind of the four I'm thinking. Um, how's Notre Dame looking? And the only reason I bring them up, do they have Notre? Do they have to play Clemson? I mean, because you oh. know they don't. Well, okay. Well, well, they're gonna lose against somebody anyway. But you know, ESPN always tries. You know, they love those helmet games. They always try to butt Notre Dame in places where they shouldn't be. So I mean, Notre Dame maybe I, I have no faith in them at all. But just off name alone, if they you know. You know, of course, start the season eight and oh, nine and oh, till they play a decent team. You know, they're always going to be towards the top of the um, rankings anyway. But that's pretty much it Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. This, there's pretty much no other team I can think of that might challenge. I mean, J Lo, you're, you're a media guy, you're kind of the news guy. Do you believe the fact that, uh, that Florida State and Clemson reached out to the SEC about wanting to come in? And do you believe the fact that the SEC was like, you really don't bring much to the table. The only other person that we would want to invite would might be Notre Dame. Do you believe all that, or is that just smoke? No, I, I think that they they may have put out a soft inquiry out there because you have to look at it now. The SEC, they add – maybe outside of Ohio State, the two biggest – Ohio State, Notre Dame, the two biggest brands in college football and those two schools are rivals – um, I'm not sure how the SEC could have done any better if they wanted to add schools. You look at South Carolina, well, you're already in that market with the Gamecocks. Why do you need them? And you really don't need Tallahassee. The Florida Gators, I mean, they you kind of have the whole state kind of locked up right there. I mean, you're in all the markets. Florida's still, to me, the marquee school throughout the state of Florida. Notre Dame, obviously – you know, everybody says that they just need to go ahead and join the ACC and that if Notre Dame doesn't join the ACC, that they fall apart, right? Because there could be some more blocks that fall. Um, you know, there were some rumors that Ohio State and Michigan, two more rivals that would bring, a, a, you know, a lot of passion to the SEC, reached out about that uh, joining the SEC. But I definitely think it's, a, it's pretty real that Florida State and Clemson, kind of the two big boys – quote-unquote big boys, if you can still consider Florida State one of those, who just did win a national title seven or eight years ago. So they're not too far removed from that. Tried to get in the SEC before um, everything kind of implodes. The fear for all these other schools is, and you're seeing it with Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas, all these guys, is you, got, you can't get left out. This is the worst time to get left out. They're talking about the AAC picking up the teams out of Texas. What does that do for them? So you definitely don't want to be the people that get left out. If you react in this situation, you're in trouble. Doesn't surprise me that there are some bigger names in college football right now trying to be proactive to see if they can go ahead and join the SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, whatever it be. You just don't want to be one of those guys on the outside looking in when all this conference uh, realignment happens. Is there ever um... – a scenario where the SEC would be like, you know what, who, I mean, whoever, Arkansas, you know, South Carolina, we appreciate you, but you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to kick you out. Or is that just, you know, once the teams that are in the original 12 or whatever, um, even though, you know, Vandy helps the GPA. So I see that, but you know, South Carolina, um, pretty good baseball team, I guess, but monetary wise, they're just not bringing a lot of money to the league. Um, and they're just basically getting a check. You know, of course, no team is going to leave voluntarily because of all that money they're getting. But is there ever a scenario to maybe you add Ohio State, Michigan, and, you know, all these bigger brands, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida State, whatever. And, but then, you know, also 
you know, weed out some of these bottom dwellers? Is that ever, is there ever a case where that's going to happen or are all the teams that are there, there forever? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny you asked that because I was talking to somebody about that earlier this week. And you talk about the schools that don't really bring anything to the table when it comes to money. I think you have LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, because the Birmingham TV market, Florida gives you the whole state of Florida. Georgia gives you – they give you Atlanta. I mean, and, and Tennessee gives you Nashville and the whole state of Tennessee, big cities. But when you start talking about Vanderbilt's, Mississippi State's, I mean, it's like 12 people live in Starkville. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting take. Like, how big does the SEC want to grow? Because you can clearly see that Greg Sankey um, – he, he's got the expansion bug right now. He, he sees this thing. He has a vision that this can grow, and this could grow to something that eliminates the NCAA, that these Power Four, Power Five conferences govern themselves. That's how big this is getting. Um, how big do you want to get? I mean, would you rather take a Notre Dame and kick somebody else out, or would you rather continue growing your conference to a 19- to 20-team league? Eventually, I think Lester would agree probably you're not a conference anymore. You're, you're a division. I mean, you're a lead. You're not, you are power five. I mean, if the SEC continues to grow, what's stopping the SEC from just saying, all right, we're going to be 40 teams. And these are the teams that compete for a national title every year. And if you're not on the inside, you're on the outside, you can go play with your ball somewhere else. Nobody really knows where this is going. Now, the only thing holding the big 10 together is Ohio state. If they leave, the Big Ten implodes. If Clemson somehow and Florida State somehow find their way in the SEC, that conference is over. So, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of stepping stones that can be taken, and there's a lot of building blocks that I think Greg Sankey, if he has the right opportunities, he's going to take him to build up the SEC. And it, he he's got vision, and that and that's kind of scary because I don't think college football is going to look the same in five years as it looks right now, I think it's going to be drastically different. And uh, I think some people will like it. Some people will hate it. But if you're a fan of college football, you're going to have to live with it. Yeah. And, you know, staying on this subject of, you know, we'll just talk about Texas and Oklahoma coming in Lester, a, a lot of Texas fans, I guess, you know, with the, uh, the arrogance that they have is almost that almost that of an Alabama fan that, you know, they're arrogant and they're not even good. They've never made a playoff. They're an average football program right now. And they're thinking they're going to come into the SEC and everybody's going to have to suck up the Texas. And Texas is a big boy. They forget that somebody in the SEC has just won like six out of the last 12 natties. But so, Lester, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, if you had to take their football teams in 2021, where would you rank them in the SEC coming in? Uh... Texas is definitely a mid-tier SEC team. Yep. Um, Oklahoma would probably challenge Bama uh, for a spot in Atlanta, I think. But that being said, you know, they still have to go through Georgia, you know, Texas A&M. Ole Miss is like a dark horse team to be really, really good for me. So I think Texas would be extremely average in the SEC um, on the football field. Oklahoma will being the top four in the SEC, you know, that, you know, of course, Batman is the top three below that. Um, but as far as coming in and, and making waves within the conference, unless they pick it up substantially over the next couple of years before they officially join, nobody should fear Texas at all. I mean, you can have the largest athletic department in the country, who cares if you're not bringing out the results from the football field? Nobody is afraid of Texas. Nobody at all. Um, Oklahoma has a little credence there, but, you know, they still don't play any defense. And I don't think that's going to change. Whenever they officially join. So we'll just have to see. Um, I'm not afraid of them. I think they will be average.
years hasn't been as good as Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's always been better than Texas. So when I think about Texas popping in this league, let's just pretend they're in the SEC, uh, in the SEC West. They're automatically behind Alabama, LSU. They'd be behind Oklahoma. They'd be behind – they'd probably be about where Auburn standard is right there with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, which automatically probably still puts them behind Georgia and Florida. I mean, you're talking about they're the seventh, eighth best team in the league. Yep. I've got them at – yeah, I've got Bama one. And then I'm going to go – as far as just this year goes, I'm going Georgia as my two. But I'll put Oklahoma three and actually put them in a close number three because I think their defense is getting better. I think their defense will get better once they get into the SEC. Um, I think that's always been the narrative out in the Big 12. You know, they, they just never really focused on it. But I think Lincoln Riley's changing that narrative over at Oklahoma. It's not elite by any means, but I think it's going to be a pretty good defense this year. Um, and then after Oklahoma, I'm going like A&M and LSU. And then this year, not last year, but this year, I'll put Texas just ahead of Florida. And what is that? One, two, three, four, five, number six. And then I've got Florida and then like Ole Miss. So I've got Oklahoma at three and then Texas at six. That's how I would put them in the SEC rankings this year. I think I think people are sleeping on Ole Miss a little bit, but well, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you've got Jerrion Ely back. He's one of the best running backs in the SEC. You've got Matt Corral. You lose Elijah Moore, and then the defense is still just piss poor. They didn't make any staff changes. Cube and Matt were actually talking about this this morning. I listened to it. You know, they, they were surprised that they didn't see any changes on the defensive side of the ball And uh, as far as coaching goes. And so you're going to have the same schemes. They're just going to get blown up. You know, you're going to have to score 60 to win. And Lane Kiffin has no problem with that, of course. But uh, so that's that's right up his alley. So this is it's going to be I, – I think they have an identical season to last year. Where they go, seven and five? So I could – I mean, maybe eight and four, but I don't see them beating anybody they're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just think – what? Is it, well, this is Kiffin's well, second this, year? Well, speaking of that, yeah, and speaking of this, like, you know, here's another topic that I had on this podcast list for us tonight is your surprise SEC team. Is, is it going to be Ole Miss? And, I mean, um, it can be SEC East or West. And, and like I said, like I told you guys, they don't. it doesn't have to be somebody that you're like, you know, these guys are going to beat Alabama and these guys are going to win the West or these guys are going to beat Georgia and win the East. It could just be somebody that – a lot of people just aren't talking about. And there's plenty of teams, I think, in the SEC, more in the East than the West. But is Ole Miss somebody that you that you see winning nine, ten games possibly this year? Uh I don't I, I don't know about winning nine, ten games, but I think that Kiffin is a supreme asshole. And I, I'm just a fan of him kind of just in general. So, you know, Kiffin with a slightly better defense and of course people challenging him to score 60 points a game. He's going to put some gray hairs and some head coaches in the SEC, including Saban, um, for maybe a quarter or two. But I'm, I'm just I'm just excited to see, you know, year two of Kiffin. You know, and, and the defense, of course, you know, it wasn't like Ole Miss was a defensive stalwart before. And then last year with the COVID year and everything. Um, so I think, you know, a year with, you know, guys in camp, I think that defense will improve. It's probably going to be better than people are expecting it to be. And, of course, um, Kiffin's probably going to have, you know, until Bryce Young um, lights people up for sure, um, probably going to have the best quarterback in the SEC to start the year out at Pat Corral. So, you know, I think, I think you know, Ole Miss is going to surprise a couple folks. Dale, who's your surprise SEC team? Who is somebody that, you know, not, not a lot of people are talking about? They might not be making national headlines, but somebody that you think will fare, you know, fairly well in the conference. Yeah, you know, going to Lester's point about Ole Miss, and I won't pick this one, but uh, I think that it's a very real possibility that when you're looking up in the middle of November, Ole Miss could be sitting there second in the West. You're talking about if they drop a game versus Alabama. I mean, LSU, yeah, they have a lot of talent. Can Edo keep that rolling? Texas A&M, I know they went 8-1 last year, had a chance to be in a college football playoff. They lose Kellen Mond. They're going to have – a first-year starting quarterback. You have Lane Kiffin. You have Matt Corral. 
You have a defense that's probably going to be at least slightly improved. And you're talking about an Ole Miss team that kind of got screwed in the game against Auburn. Would have been another win on their resume last year. If their defense is – I mean, think about it. If their defense gets two stops to get at, against Alabama, they may win that game early on in the year. I think Lane Kiffin is a is – a, and Ole Miss is a team that could surprise some people, not win the West, but if they could improve to third in the West, maybe sitting behind an A&M or, heck, if they get lucky, finish second in the West because, listen – Auburn's not a threat right now. LSU's kind of right where you'd want to. Mississippi, it's crazy to think that Mississippi State and Ole Miss, both higher coaches, go West Coast at the exact same time. Mississippi State turns into a dumpster fire. Lane Kiffin has Ole Miss back on track. You're still competing with Arkansas and Sam Pittman, who, you know, I think Sam Pittman's going to do pretty good compared to some of his peers that have coached at Arkansas in the last decade. I think he's a high-energy guy, but how, what's the ceiling of that program? Bobby Petrino isn't there anymore. Uh, I think you could see Ole Miss be very competitive in the West, but you move over into the East. Man, it's outside of Georgia. I mean, Emory Jones, is he going to be, be very talented? I mean, yeah. this thing is wide open. Tennessee could pop in there some way, shape, form, or fashion. Mm. Missouri, a lot of people like their quarterback. A lot of people like their offense. Yeah, I mean, that 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 one's wide open. And if I had to pick a team, I mean, it would probably be sitting around um, – I don't want to steal your thunder, Chase, you're pointing at you, but I'll oh, think Missouri. Missouri yeah. out there in the East could – like, you might look up at the end of the year and they're sitting second in the East and they're one of the, in one of those really, really good New Year's Day bowls, Capital One Bowl or something, um, putting the SEC on their back right there in bowl season. Yeah, and to me, I'm a big fan of – Elite quarterback play will take you as far as you want to go. Um, you know, I mentioned outside of Alabama, you, you, you know, Alabama's the only team not to have an elite quarterback win the natty. Um, and now, you know, unless you're Notre Dame last year with Ian Book uh, getting in the getting in the playoff. But, um, you know, elite, when, when you have an elite quarterback, I'm not saying, well, Connor Bates, like, he isn't elite, but when you have a very good quarterback – a quarterback that can basically get hot. Eli Drinkwitz has is, is got that wide open spread offense, and he does a really good job of feeding the hot hand. And if his quarterback's on, he's going to throw it 60 times on you. Now, if he's not on, he, he, he also can run it, you know, 40, 50 times. Um, and, and so I think that puts Missouri in a really good spot just because, you know, Kentucky's got the big offensive line. They've got the big running backs. They don't have anybody that can get the ball to the outside. Um uh, the same situation as last year for Kentucky, Emory Jones, you know, Kyle Trask last year, elite quarter, elite college quarterback, and uh, they had elite receivers. You know, they lose Kadarius Toney, they lose Kyle Pitts, lose Kyle Trask, and uh, now Emory Jones has taken over. He's a run-first quarterback. You really don't know. You, in order to beat people, you have to be able to throw the ball down the field. In this era in college football, teams can stop the side-to-side stuff. They can stop the power run. You have to be able to stretch the field in order to win games. You have to be able to take the top off. And Connor Bazelak can do that at Missouri, whereas quarterbacks from Kentucky, whoever it's going to be, and Emory Jones at Florida can't do that as well, or at least, you know, from, from what we've seen. And so, yeah, I definitely would not be surprised to see Missouri end up finishing second in the, in the East. Yeah, I like, I like that, you know. It's the East has just fluctuated so much. Yeah, you've had. I mean, you think about Missouri just a decade ago. They they won the East back to back years. I mean, the SEC East it feels as open as it's ever been. If something happens to JT Daniels, if there's an in, one more wide receiver injury to to Georgia, I mean, you could you could probably make a pretty good bet that somebody else could be sitting right there at the end of the year in Atlanta, other than Georgia, and, and it's make or break time for Kirby Smart as well. It may be it may be make a break time for Dan Mullen too. I mean, what's going to be his excuse this year if they don't make it? Like you said, you know the East is wide open. Well, I mean, does he not have a fallback plan? You know, hey, my quarterback isn't somebody that I developed. But he's been there how long now? I mean, I don't know. He gosh, I mean, he's had enough. He's had enough time to get his. his, Yeah, yeah, he's had enough. I mean, this third third or fourth year time. Okay, you've gotten your recruiting classes in. You know, the previous guy, you know, screw him. He's getting all his players out. This should be 
your team, I think Florida, I think Mullen's going to be in a little bit of a hot seat because those guys are waiting for somebody to pop off. And, you know, the early season game against Bama will kind of be a little, little, little litmus test for them to see how far they've really gotten under Mullen. Yeah, they well, tell you, the quarterback whisper or whatever. So we'll, we'll, he's going to put his skills to the test. Yeah, that litmus test, it ain't going to come back good from Florida. I mean, you go from Felipe Franks, you luck up, and Kyle Trask turns out to be an animal. Emory Jones, man, he's a third and two running quarterback. I, I, they don't have a chance to beat George. I think Kirby's going to try to embarrass him this year, and they're going to get embarrassed early in the swamp against Bryce. I, I would go ahead and set that at 16 and a half, and I'd take Bama in the swamps. Oh, I like it. Speaking of quarterbacks, Lester, top three quarterbacks in the SEC, give them to me. Basically, it's, it's JT Daniels, Matt Corral, and then a question mark. You know, there, you've seen a lot of Bryce Young. You've seen some crazy people, say Bo Nix. Uh, you, you've seen some Connor Basilax. You've seen a, a lot of guys at that number three spot. Give me your top three. All right. We'll say – Matt Corral, number one. Jeez, um, the guy got hurt at practice. I thought Miles Brandon would probably have a pretty good year done in LSU. Dude, I, thought, I thought Max Johnson was going to start anyway. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Uh, he goes yeah. into the swamp, beats Florida last year with that busted-up team that had already quit, uh, you know, blaming it, blaming it all on COVID, all that jazz. And he goes down there. and I know Marcus, Marco Wilson didn't help by throwing the shoe. But Max Johnson went down the and played his ass off and beat Florida. I thought that I thought that he was going to win the job anyway. But not now, from a depth perspective, LSU might be in trouble. They're in big trouble if Max Johnson goes down. Yeah, yeah, big trouble. So I'll say, you know, those two, and then you know, what JT, of course, because he's going to have so many weapons. I mean, clearly, I think Bryce is going to be the best quarterback in the SC when it's all said and done. But right here, right now, it'll be those three. Corral, um, whoever's quarterback at LSU, just because from a weapon standpoint, and uh, Daniels. Yeah, they got Kashan Bouillet, or however you say his name down there at LSU. But, you know, Georgia, George Pickens, is it just me, or does he not impress me as much as he impresses everybody else? You know, you've got like two or three receivers that didn't even go through spring practice down there. Jermaine Burton was one of them. I think he had some legal issues. You know, George Pickens, he's coming off the ACL. Is that right? And, uh, oh, no, Jermaine Burton is yeah. too. He had that slight – Yeah, something funky. And so, I mean, how healthy are these guys going to be? And, you know, um, another thing, I hate to, you know, keep bringing up GMAC and Q, but, you know, ever since Jalen Lester told me about that show, I've been able to listen to it because I didn't have high expectations for it going in. You've got two know-it-all guys that like to hear themselves talk, but it actually flows really well, a lot better than I expected – and, uh, and they, they get some good info on college football. So, if you want to listen to that, go check it out from 7 to 10 in the mornings on WJOX 94.5. And, golly, was that a free ad? I just I – just Yeah, I start charging for those, it's The man. smoothest thing I've ever – That's <laughs> the smoothest – Rule number one. Yeah. But uh, – and, and he was he was talking about this, and um, it's just – GMAC was talking about how – who scares you more, a guy like George Pickens, who's a big physical receiver, or a guy like Jalen Waddle, who can catch a slant route and run right by your linebackers, right by your corners, and right by your safeties at any time on any single play? George Pickens doesn't pose that threat. Sure, you get inside the 20, and he's a goal line weapon, but you know, on your own 25-yard line, is George Pickens really somebody that you have to pay attention to 24-7? Or you know, you got guys like Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle who can just take the top off at any second. I mean, nobody's ever said height kills. I mean, it's always been speed kills, speed kills. Nobody's always, nobody's ever said, oh, tall people. You know, J-Law has wanted six-foot-nine receivers for a decade. And, and me too. I thought that Terrell Savers was going to be the bomb. I think we all kind of did. I know. It, he, was so, he was so hyped out of Texas. So, and he was fast. He was tall yeah. and fast. Like, how, how can you be a bad wide receiver? But uh, good luck to that guy's mistake. All I wanted to do is throw a fade route. I didn't I mean we did it with Devontae like 25 times this year and he caught all of them. I mean, we just needed to throw one to the corner of the end zone, which we never did with um, any of our OCs until Lane Kiffin. But the top three quarterbacks, guys, I mean, it, I have the exact same questions about JT Daniels is that that I have about Bryce Young. I mean, 
yeah, we've seen JT Daniels. He's had an ACL injury, rehab last year. I mean, he's but, got film. Yeah, he's got a little tape. I bet he's he's been, his one. last three games last year. I mean, he didn't play anybody. Didn't play anybody impressive. No, but you prepare completely different. <laughs> and, and that's a big thing with me, too. Yeah, I, I agree with that from a does he make Georgia better? Absolutely. Does he make Georgia harder to defend? Yeah, I mean, he's not Stetson Bennett sitting back there, five foot nine in the pocket. That that's absolutely true. But what about when the big lights turn on, when it's a big moment? We have the same questions about him that you have with Bryce Young. But I mean, everybody's already crowning him one of the one of the best quarterbacks in college football, Heisman Trophy candidate here early in the year. Matt Corral just from coming back in the league. And this is a year where nobody's coming back as a quarterback, essentially, other than Matt Corral, Basilic out there at Missouri. I mean, Bo Nix said about 50% completions. So, I mean, like, yeah, what do you really look at? Cal Trask is gone. But, I mean, yeah, I think you got to start with Matt Corral on your list. I'd definitely go the quarterback out of Missouri at number two. I mean, I guess you could throw JT Daniels sitting there at number three. I also thought Max Johnson was going to start at LSU. I mean, Texas A&M is quarterbackless. Tennessee's a dumpster fire. I mean, where else do you turn? When it's all said and done, Bryce Young's going to be the best quarterback in the league. And um, I think you might start seeing that, whatever that is, week three or four in the swamp, when Bryce Young leads Alabama to Florida and they come out with a pretty uh, significant win and a lopsided scoreboard. I think uh, Bryce Young's quickly going to remind everybody that this is the same school that produced Tua Tungabaloa and Mac Jones, and he's about to follow right in line. Yeah, and and I guess I don't feel as uh, as bamerish with you saying that, but to me, I, I don't, I don't want to say I've seen enough because that's obviously not true. The dude threw like twelve passes last year, but I how about this? I know enough. I know what kind of situation Bryce Young is going into. I know the weapons he's got. Yeah, everybody's out bashing Alabama. I'm telling you, Cameron Latu, Jaleel Billingsley, Jamison Williams, Javon Baker, and John Mechie are going to be an issue. Not to mention Brian Robinson and Jason McClellan, Kamar Wheaton, who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Alabama threw the ball a lot to the running back last year. They're going to keep some of those same concepts. You know, Nick Saban has taught over and over that we have an offensive philosophy. We just try to match that to our personnel. And – and so I have no doubt that Bryce Young, he's not going to be a, he's not going to be put into any situations that he's not comfortable in. They're not going to throw anything at him in the game that he doesn't see in practice. He's going against the best secondary in the country every single day. And not just in teamwork and skellies. I mean, he's going against the best defense in the country every single day. The best defense, the two best inside linebackers in the country. Every single day, he is not going to play one team that has better linebackers and a better secondary than he's seen for the last six months in seven on seven drills and in the spring. And so that preps you, I think, way more than anybody else. You're a JT Daniels. I understand that. Let's see how – see, JT, I just he's, – he's a good quarterback. I think he's a good, solid quarterback. He doesn't pose a threat with his legs. And then to me, and I'm kind of biased on this because I had this perception to where if you get beat out and you transfer, that happened for a reason. I mean, he gets beat out by a true freshman, Kadon Slovis at USC, and he has to leave. I mean, this guy was Mr. Everything. Coming out, was he out of modern day? I don't even know if he was or not. Um. But uh, in, but anyway, you know, he gets beat out by a true freshman, so he's got to leave and go across country. George just happened to have an opening because Jamie Newman bailed, and then Stetson Bennett was a walk-on trying to play quarterback in the SEC. So I think it was a good fit for him, but I'm not ready to sit here and crown this guy because I think Alabama has better receivers than Georgia. I really do. I think they have better tight ends. I think they have better running backs. And I, I think they're close, sure. I mean, I don't think it's a wide margin, but I know what kind of offensive line Bryce Young's going to have in front of him. It's going to be, you know, the best in the SEC, if not the best, and definitely no, no more than number two. Um, 
And so I just – I have that much confidence in Bryce Young to say that I think that right now he's the best quarterback in the SEC. Sure, if you want to give people five or six games to let them make their own assessment, that's fine with me. But I think right now he's number one. I'll put JT at number two, and I'll put Matt Crow at number three. Matt Crow is also an interception machine. Didn't the dude throw like six picks against Arkansas last year in one game? And the dude's a borderline, yes. borderline head case. Sure, he played his ass off against Alabama, but who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Uh, Stetson Bennett but anyway those are my three I, I'm I'm okay with putting putting you can call me a homer you can call me biased looking through crimson and white glasses whatever I know what Bryce Young has I know the talent he possesses I know the lightning fast delivery and the pinpoint accuracy he's got I know the skill he's got to get out of the pocket to throw the ball on the run I know all that stuff I've seen it and um and, and so I'm okay with putting Bryce. I'm confident putting Bryce number one right now. Let's, so let's move into running backs. This is the other position I wanted to do. Um, this is the last one we'll do tonight. Give me your top three running backs in the SEC. It's okay. Hey, look, hey, let me say this. It's okay to put Tank in there. Oh, uh, Tank's you know. number one, baby. Tank's number one. Yeah, he's my number Tank's one. Tank's number one. Um, I'm going to say Isaiah Spiller out of uh, Texas A&M. And let's 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 just go. Mm, Zemir White out of Florida. I mean, out of Georgia. I mean, because we don't know how good that quarterback situation is is going to be in Georgia. So Kirby might have to lean on his running back um, a little bit. And yeah, you got Tank Bishop. He's going to knock some more helmets off this year. Heisman Trophy candidate. Oh, 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 oh. that's Sean Chavers. Oh, oh, my bad. Excuse me. One of those. Is Sean Chavers number those, two on this list? No. One of those midgets down in Auburn. I, he, he, yeah. knocked, he knocked Xavier McKinney's helmet off that time. You remember that? He, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, Tank, Isaiah Spiller, and uh, I'm going to go to Zemir White from Georgia. Those are going to be my top three so far. You got two of my top three. So, uh, J-Log, give me your list. Who are the top three running backs in the SEC? I think Tank Bigsby. I think Tank is – probably the best running back in the SEC. I just don't think his numbers are going to show it this year. Man, that offensive line isn't any better than it was last year. I I just think when they start facing some of these good SEC fronts, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, just like they were last year. I know Tank slowed down towards the end of last season, got a little banged up, but when did that not happen in a Gus Malzahn system? I mean, carry on Johnson – had a broken leg or what jumping over the finish line against George. They ran him into the ground. The same thing with Trey Mason and the rest of them. So I think Tank is still he's still the best. Um Spiller right there, number two, man. That guy, he's got a high motor. Also think they have a little depth at Texas AM that can help him out where they don't really have that at Auburn at the running back position. And I also go um Kevin Harris. I like him as well. But there's some really good backs in the league. Um you know, Brian Robinson getting slept on a little bit, I think, because of how good Najee was last year. It was just so hard to run a run a play without leaving 22 out there, passing, decoy, running the football, anything, because how good Najee was. But by the time you get towards the end of the year, you might have a couple Alabama candidates sitting right there. I see the same thing. Um, you know, I, I'll go tank number one, and I think Auburn's got a pretty good run-blocking offensive line I think that's their strength and there's no doubt because half of them are former defensive linemen they're just they're just man eaters out there you know they're they're big they're big and physical um it's just in pass pros where they suffer they they have no chance of slowing down anybody with a pulse um as far as pass protection goes but you know I think they ran the ball well last year uh to a degree but yeah like, like you said when you go up against Georgia Alabama LSU Texas A&M you know, basically, <laughs> the guys, that have, the teams that have out-recruited you, um, you know, SEC ball is one in the trenches. And uh, when you go up against guys that have, that have you know, out-recruited you in the trenches, you, you lose those battles, and Auburn does not have the same success on the ground because um, they also know that they can man a team like Auburn up. Auburn has probably the worst receivers in the SEC, Um even with Demetrius, the addition of Demetrius Robinson, um, them and them and Vandy are just piss poor at the, at the receiver spot. But um, 
Yeah, I think they have a pretty good run blocking offensive line and, and they'll just they'll pound teams like Ole Miss and Mississippi State and I say they'll pound teams. I don't know what Ryan Harson's gonna do but Gus Malzahn will pound the little guy so to speak and uh, I, I like Spiller at Texas A&M they, they've got a lot of guys back their offensive line's experienced so they're gonna have to rely on him uh, breaking in a new quarterback they're they're opening up competition over there I don't know who the quarterback is gonna be uh, week one so and you know and it might not be the same guy to finish the year that started it but I look for the uh, for them to really rely on Isaiah Spiller out of the backfield. My number three is going to be Jerion Ely um, at Ole Miss. I think he's another guy with Elijah Moore out. I think that they're going to have to rely on the run a little bit more, maybe even the quarterback run with him and Corral in the backfield a little bit more, and um, maybe have some packages for John Rice Plumley. Um, he, he's still hanging around Ole Miss, but uh, so yeah, that's my three. I'm going to go Tank Isaiah Spiller and Jerion Ely from Ole Miss. I like it. We'll see. Um, another thing, so going back to quarterbacks, uh, totally forgot that Texas and them even exists. Um, I think that guy might be kind of decent. Of course, Jimbo's always going to have something up his sleeve. He's a legend quarterback whisperer, too. So, then look out for that guy also. Has Texas already made you forget about A&M? Because this is what they didn't want to happen, the A&M thing, the Aggie yellers. Yeah, what a bunch of brats those guys are. That was kind of funny when that whole situation came out. Imagine all the other schools in the conference talking about adding Texas and Oklahoma, and you find out just like the average fan does. I, <laughs> I would be so mad. But now, now seemingly Texas A&M is on the uh, on board with adding them. But that was hilarious when that came out. Oh man, let's they get it. They they understand the significance of twenty million more dollars. It's not going to help them in football. But they got a whole athletics department to fund. And if you could find $20 million more million from something that doesn't increase your costs at all, so if you can just bring Texas over and it costs you no more money, but you can make $20 million, we'd all would have took it to. How many years does it take for Oklahoma and Texas, either or, to win a, to win a natty? And, I, uh, I mean – how about just to get to an attic? Because we know winning it's so hard, man. I mean, you're going to have the 12-team playoff, um, so that's going to help with so many good teams being in the SEC. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, eating their own um, and, and banging each other up all year. You know, you're going to have four or five SEC teams in that playoff anyway every year. So how long until uh, Oklahoma or Texas get to an attic? Once they enter the SEC, but this is probably um, like post Spencer Rattler, right? I yeah, mean, another stud that Lincoln Riley had to bring in and develop. But I mean, how long do you think realistically? Within five years of joining the SEC, they'll be in the Natty. And I'm guessing it's going to be Oklahoma first, right? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent Oklahoma first. Yeah. Nah, man, I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma still hasn't made a natty. Is is joining the SEC in the next five years going to help Oklahoma make the jump from essentially outside of that one great performance against Georgia in the Rose Bowl? Is it going to help them get from taking on some big losses in the playoff to making it to the natty? I mean, they have been just one game away, but I don't think the, them playing in the SEC – necessarily makes it easier for them to get to a natty i mean they haven't had a problem getting in the playoff they've been in the playoff i think four times have lost in the first round every single time i think this makes it a little tougher until that thing does get to about 12 teams i mean they're going to be sitting if you have two losses you're out there still hasn't been a two loss team make it in i'm not sure it gets any easier for oklahoma and it dang sure isn't going to be texas in the next decade i mean you know they they, they you they've lost in the first round and they've also been 100 percent healthy because they haven't had to play anybody so now you got to go through a schedule you got to play you know texas and, and lsu and a&m and, and maybe in alabama or georgia in an sec championship game you got to go through three or four big dogs and uh but what is what does it do for their programs as a whole? Right? We'll say, yeah, football program as a whole, because you can say that, you know, coming to the SEC gives you a boost as far as recruiting or whatever. But, you know, Texas A&M is, is trending upward. Missouri has trended downward since they came to the league. You mentioned earlier about, 
you know, them playing, you know, winning the East the first two years they were in the conference in 2013 and 2014. And then ever since then, it's been just downhill. I mean, they're not a, a three and nine football program by any means, but, you know, they're going to sit around a seven and five and eight and four every year. Yeah, I, 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 I think that, that Oklahoma is really, really, I think, well, recruiting wise, both to a natty within the first five years, whatever, because they're going to have a chance to pull in stay closer to home or, you know, you can come to Oklahoma and play SEC ball. So I think they're going to attract more or better defensive talent, which is, you know, you know, the offense is going to be there and it takes nothing for, you know, anything happening to SEC play. Teams beat teams they're not supposed to beat all the time. So I think one, one of those years, because of those couple of factors that Oklahoma will finally put it together one year because they're going to bring that defense along a little bit better than, what has been traditionally. I mean, is the recruiting – I know the recruiting is going to increase, but is it is it going to increase that much? I mean, Oklahoma, I still feel like – and I could be completely wrong that there's still a – you know, every year a top ten recruiting class. Most of the time there's a couple big-time quarterbacks in those classes and it's a lot of offense. But, I mean, it, I, it's just such a grind. And when you talk about the difference in the Big 12 – and then playing an SEC conference. I mean, guys, they lost to Iowa State last year. I mean, I don't care if Iowa State's top ten. Alabama ain't losing to Iowa State. Georgia probably ain't losing to Iowa State. I mean, that just that just not big big boys don't that doesn't happen to them. I think Oklahoma is a is a little further away from winning um, winning a championship than um, a lot of people would like to believe. The brand is still big. The OU. Boomer sooner. I mean, that's massive for the league. Yeah, I think it. I think it's gonna. I'm not sure how it benefits everybody else in the conference. I think if you were teams not Alabama, Georgia, LSU, or Florida, this probably hurts you. But I mean, I'm not so sure how much it's just gonna help them from a championship standpoint for them getting into the SEC. Yeah, they'll land a couple better players, but now you just got to go through the grind. And they weren't having to do that before. Last question for you, Jay Law, and we'll, and we'll get out of here. With the NIL, you, we just we know it's about to take over college football. It's no secret. Is the chance are the chances for the? I guess you could say small market programs now. You know, uh, Ole Miss, Arkansas, South Carolina, whatever. Are the chances pretty much deplenished uh, of them ever making a playoff or, or winning a national championship ever again? Because we already know where the top recruits are going now. And now with the NIL, why, why the hell would you go to Arkansas? I mean, if I can just I – can, I can go to Alabama, ride the bench. Jalen Milrow has his own freaking brand. I sent it to you all earlier. Dude is selling shorts, athletic shorts for like $39. It says mill ticket on it. You shitting me? Dude, dude pro I probably won't ever start a game for Alabama unless there's some injuries. Because, I mean, he might end up go, staying there two years and transfer. But because he's at Alabama, he's going to make plenty of money off of that. So are, yeah. are the, are, is, is the time coming, even for a team like Auburn? And I, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. But that's a small market program compared to when you compare it to these big dogs, you know, what can Auburn offer that Alabama can't triple? Yeah, listen, uh, I think a couple of players from Ohio State, they were launching like this, a group NIL deal. So it was like three or four players going in, you know, making a business together, signing deals together. Um, if, if you're a big dog and listen, that's, there's all, there really haven't been that many big dogs in recruiting, not go to the big school. I mean, they're just the same 10 every year. Gus Malzahn would sneak his way into the top 10, you know, every third year. But the, the players are going – and it's a horrible time 
to be a Tennessee or a Michigan or somebody like that, it's a bad time to suck. It's a bad time to be on a downward spiral right now because you are missing the boat. And we said that a couple of years ago, like right now, it's a bad time not to be good because there's so much more media out there. And all, But now is the absolute worst time because it's so hard for you to attract talent. Dude, it's hot at Ohio State, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Texas. I think USC can revitalize their program based off of this. If they can get enough big-time stars there. But why would you go to Ole Miss? Why would you go to Mississippi State? And, yeah, there may be a kid or two that takes that route like there always has been, but I just think this makes it so much harder for a Hugh Freezy type guy or even a Lane Kiffin to sit in the five stars living room with his parents and say, you can come here and play football and get a good education when Bryce Young's making a million dollars and he threw 12 passes last year. That's That's got to be rough on the coaches, and I think the game has forever changed, and I'm not so sure it's for the better. I, I'm all for it for the players, big free market capitalism guy but I think the game's going to suffer. Yeah, I I agree with that. And, you know, everybody gets so mad that the same four teams are in the playoff every year. Well, guess what, buddy? Guess what you're going to have for the next 30 years, 40 years. Even after Nick Saban's gone, dude, Alabama's brand is so big right now. You can – I want to say you can just put anybody up there and be like, hey, look, we're going to pay you more money than everybody else. That's all you got to do in recruiting now. It ain't about competition. It ain't about – Wanting to compete against the best, where can I make the most coin? If I'm gonna, if I'm, you know, getting a million dollars a year at Alabama or per deal at Alabama and only seven video at Ohio State, guess where I'm going? So, you know, I, I anyway. All right, that's all I got. Lester, you good? You got anything you want to add here before we before we sign out? Yeah, um, life isn't life isn't fair, and parody oh, does come. not exist. I know, I know. I know. Parody does not exist. Life isn't fair. That's all I got to say. They're going to have to do something. I don't know what they're going to do, and I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to have to do something. Just uh, I think <laughs> They're going to try, mega, but – Guys, once it's mega conferences, they're going to set away, yep. I think, lump sums of money because eventually these guys aren't going to be – They're not going to be student athletes at a public university. They're going to be employees. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can have like, I don't, I don't think in or NFL players can sign deals with teams with certain brands because they're going up against their NFL contracts essentially, or what, you know, the NFL had her companies, the NFL has contracts with. It's eventually going to be like that to where, yeah, you know, the, the two of jerseys off the shelf and he's going to be rewarded for that. But while you're here as an employee at these schools working and playing football, there's going to be some type of overarching binding structure on top of what you can get out of an NIL. Does it vary, that's, by, that's, does it, does it vary by position? Because that's the biggest thing with me. You can't have your backup center and your starting quarterback making the same amount of base money, so to speak. I agree. So, yeah, don't know what they're going to do. Don't know the, how, how they're going to do it. They're going to have to do something. Um, and for everybody that doesn't like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma making playoff every year, uh, well, I, I, hate to, I hate to break it to you. But, all right, man, J-Lo, we appreciate I know you're a busy man. We appreciate you getting on here. Looking forward to you coming on the show again. Um, we're going to get out of here. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell. Jeremy Law, Gumpreneur's Podcast, episode 38. We're out of here. See you guys.